Well, happy end of 2020. For some of us, it couldn't come quick enough. <laughs> well, in prepping for today's message, I asked some of you, a lot of you, about your 2020. And most of you described it something like, like this. This is literally hanging on one of our Keystone Friends' Christmas trees, Tim Morris. Uh, it's been, for a lot of us, a dumpster fire. And, well, the reasons why we feel that way are obvious, because every time we turn on the radio or read the news, we get told why it's been a dumpster fire of a year. But for some of you, when I asked you about your 2020, you said, without a bit of hesitation, you said, it was the best year of my life. And when I asked why, I heard things like this. I finally had the time to try some things that I've been wanting to try for my whole life. And I did. And I loved it. And others said, I've never spent the time I wanted with my son. And this year, I could. And it's been awesome. One of you said, I finally slowed down. And I'm seeing the moments in life. And it's no longer a blur. Another one said, I was forced to figure out what was important to me and then eliminate what was not. Each one found some level of happiness. And when I looked at their faces and I heard them say it, I believed them. You know, in general, we live life, uh, as we go through life, we're on this constant search for happiness. And sometimes holding on to happiness is like, well, it's like trying to hold on to water in your hand. It doesn't, it doesn't work really well, and it just seems to slip away. So in my life, I found a few things to be true about happiness. Getting what I want doesn't always make me happy. Focusing on me, <laughs> it rarely, rarely leads to happiness. I'm never happy when I pretend to be someone or something that I'm not. Lying never makes me happy. Being lied to hurts more than almost anything. Happiness and pleasure, for me, are not the same. Happiness is this long-term, sustainable thing, and pleasure is it's really short-lived. And the problem is that so much of the pursuit of happiness and the happiness that we do experience is dependent on unsustainable circumstances or situations. Like, well, the trip to the Caribbean, it may have been awesome, but now the white sands and the umbrella drinks, now they're just a computer screensaver on your screen. The motorcycle, although it was fun in the summer, it eventually goes in the garage for the winter. And the feel-good movie that comes to an end, and in all of those cases, and one similar to them, we re-engage reality. That's just how life seems to work. It's the default setting of life. However, some things for me bring more sustainable happiness. Like, the more I help people to be happy, the happier I am. The more I learn to embrace the present moment, like the time with one of you, or the time with my grandson or granddaughter, or the hiking trail, or the, the sunset, or the kiss, or the holding hands, the more I embrace that moment and see it for the treasure that it is, the happier I am. 
fact, I made this my home screen. I was busy in the middle of a project and one of those kind of holy moments showed up when James came over and tugged on my pants and said, Grandpa, I want to jump on you in the grass. So I did. That's on my phone to remind me to look for those moments. I've also learned for me that becoming a better version of myself gives me accomplishment. It gives me a sense of, of moving forward and that makes me happy. Now, this is just a short list for me. It might be good for you to make your own list of what makes you happy and what doesn't make you happy. So today, as we wrap up this year, I want to use our time to help you do two things. One is to look back and find some moments of happiness in 2020. And then I want to give you a guaranteed way to find more sustainable happiness in 2021. Now, I'll admit the skeptics here are thinking, come on, Wasink, that's going to be easy. It's like investing in the stock market when the market's already bottomed out. There's nowhere to go but up. That's why they call it a dumpster fire. Well, that may be true. But if you can embrace what we're going to explore the rest of this service, you will begin shifting from pleasure and short-term happiness to genuine, sustainable happiness. So here's our big idea today. Sustainable happiness is found by intentionally making room for holy moments. When I first began thinking of this message and thinking about holy moments, my mind immediately jumped back to a summer before last when Paul and I were visiting the staff of a church in Colorado. And we took some time to drive around and go out in the mountains and do a little hiking and stuff. And I remember after we were walking on the trail, Paul turning back to look what was behind him. And he just stood there like, wow. So I had to grab my iPhone and take a shot. Now, I was putting together the thoughts for today. To me, it was a perfect image to represent the talk. Plus, I like his haircut. Those moments that we talked about, that we showed, I've always called them God moments. But I think calling them holy moments is a better description. So, what's a holy moment? A holy moment is when you open yourself up to God. You make yourself available to him. You set aside what you feel like doing. And in that moment, you set aside your self-interest. And for one moment, one moment, you simply do what you prayerfully believe God is asking you to do in that moment. That is a holy moment. The problem with so many of us, though, as we think, as we go through life, we need to be living a perfect life, a holy life. And we're told we need to be walking with God like we're a saint. And after trying and falling and trying and failing and trying and falling and trying and failing, we realize we just can't do that. We've got some broken, jacked up stuff in our thinking and in our life. So we just stop trying. We give in to the voices of self-doubt. But even the saints would tell you 
that they lived far from a holy life. They lived holy moments. Intentionally collaborating with God to create those moments. Holy moments are possible. And in the best of times and in the worst of times, we need to look for them. We need to grasp them. We need to hold on to them. We need to take time to listen to God in them and then decide to act, to move, to take a risk, and to trust. God begs us to start walking with our eyes up instead of with our eyes down at our feet all the time. Making space to notice what is all around us, to see what he might want us to say, what he might want us to do, and then just do it. Well, today I want to invite you into the journey of some Keystone friends who are, who are not saints. Definitely not saints. But they opened themselves up to God. And in the moment, they simply took a look back to the nudges God gave them or were giving him them at the moment, and they made themselves available. And in turn, they experienced holy moments. My sincere hope is that one of these stories might meet you where you're at. That they might cause you to look deep inside and see how holy moments, how, how opening yourself up to God, how making yourself available to what he wants you to do can change your life, can change your world, can bring happiness and make a real difference. After their stories, we're going to hear from one last person who will tell us how to start implementing all of this and let it change you from the inside out. All right? It's story time. Twenty twenty was the year my world got flipped upside down. This year was a test for our family. The twenty twenty was a fight for my life. I'm Von Beenstra, and I've been coming. My husband and I have been coming to Keystone since the early two thousands, and I'm one of the teaching leaders at Common Ground, which I've been doing for about fourteen years now. Um, Sean and Jenny Griffin. Uh, we have three kids. We have a five-year-old and twins that are two. Uh, I started coming to Keystone in 1998, and he started coming with me when we met in 2011, 2012. Yeah, we were dating. Yeah. Coming ever since. And I heard you had someone really cool who did your wedding. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Morris. I've uh, been attending Keystone since 2000. Yeah, and it's, it's been a great journey. Um, you know, I rededicated myself to Christ here because of Keystone and uh, was blessed to start playing music with the band from my second week when John threw me up to lead praise and worship. After about a 15 minute um, rehearsal <laughs> in his office. Okay, you're ready to go. <laughs> and uh, the rest, as you say, is history, right? <laughs> 2020 was quite a year for a number of us. Tell us about your world being flipped upside down. 
Well, in March, in about two weeks' time, my husband and I took a huge personal hit so that our two businesses could survive. And then my mom came down with COVID-19, went into the hospital, and she ended up passing away, which left my 91-year-old father um, needing help to live and um, us siblings having to come together and figure out how we were going to take him into our lives so that we didn't have to put him in a nursing home. Um, for us as individuals, I think we really were tested and then our marriage and our family. Uh, we have a, a young family right now and a five-year-old and a two-year-old like Sean mentioned. So it's just been, uh, it's been a lot. And so for us, uh, significantly, I think we both realized that we were not as strong as we thought we were yes. as in those individual roles. Yes. Yeah, that's something that we actually agreed on when yeah. we talked about this. That's like... Yeah, I thought I was stronger than this. Yeah. I thought I was a stronger mother. I thought I was a stronger yeah. wife. I thought I'd be friend. better at yeah, better at what I'm doing than I am. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people feel that way too. Yeah. Well, I was diagnosed with cancer back in July of 2019, actually, and it was a lymphoma that they'd actually found a cure for. So after doing a couple of weeks of tests up at the hospital. Um, they put in a, a chemo regimen for me that would last basically to the end of that year and a little bit into 2020. And I went through um, six, seven rounds of chemo over the course of 2019 and got a PET scan. And my doctor said, you, you're in remission. Your cancer is gone. And uh, we're just going to do another PET scan a couple months out just to make sure everything is good. And so that's how I kind of went into 2020, thinking back in the band again. Yeah, right. I was I was performing and uh, able to you know attend services and, and life was was really great. And then we did that PET scan, and two spots appeared. My cancer was back. The problem solving, I think everybody can relate to family logistics on a daily basis in COVID when you're all, you know, I'm working from home. It's on top of each other. He's at home, all three kids, school, yeah. daycare, all of it. And there's so many needs and logistics that we were tested that way. On top of how do you talk to your kids about what's happening with COVID, uh, racial justice issues. Yeah. How do you go through all of that all at one time and still keep your head above water? So There's a lot to process. And it kind of threw the, the care team and my doctor into a little bit of a loop because they didn't think it was coming back. And I'm relatively young for a cancer patient, um, you know, in my early 50s, so, and in pretty good shape, relatively health-wise. So this was a really big surprise, and that's where I got really scared because that's not supposed to happen. I became the exception, not the rule at that point. At the beginning of that time, I felt just really weak and um, because I couldn't see the end of the tunnel, but I knew I had a faithful God, so I had some wonder, wondering how he was going to take me through this time. 
but I felt weak because I felt like I had so little to offer God to help him answer my prayer and help me help him answer my situation. When you were talking with God, did you feel like you needed to hold back in that or did you let him have it? <laughs> no, I think in talking with him it's it's much more of a quiet talk. It's much more of a reflective wondering what my life will be six years from now and how I'm going to see him answer what I didn't even know how to ask. And so just a place of wondering how the package and the prayer is going to get unwrapped um, and to be okay with whatever his plan was. For me, uh, I felt very distracted. And I still feel distracted, just being pulled in so many different ways. Uh, on top of being a stay-at-home parent, on top of being a teacher now, and on top of doing my job on, on, with everything else going on, um, I have definitely not talked to God to the way that I'm used to, or as much as I'm used to. Just being spread so thin, I just, um, you know, we, we, we keep it within our, obviously within our thoughts, but it's just, uh, it's hard to maintain a uh, constant, you know, uh, conversation. That's that's my experience. Yeah. Routines have been shared. Routines are completely different. There's no semblance, you know. I was a little bit of a feeling, just feeling exhausted. Kind of this visual of just sort of like laying at the feet of God and saying like, <laughs> I just, yeah, I I need to I need to be picked up. Okay. I need to rest. I need that refreshment. Um, and so I think I've kind of gotten to the point a little bit further now where um, I'm continuing that relationship with God in a, in a different way versus just needing that safe haven. It's kind of how I felt this year. Yeah, my conversations with God, with God were, um, you know, really, what, what are you supposed, what am I supposed to do to be, of help to others in this situation. Um, and that is something that uh, I learned as part of kind of my recommitment back to Christ many, many years ago. Because when I came to Keystone, you may remember, I was going through a pretty broken part of my life. And basically, I, uh, I had to turn my will and my life over to the care of God to get through alcoholism. In fact, we started a 12-step group here, which is still a big part of my spiritual program. Um, and by doing that and relying on him and gaining strength from that, I knew in time of crisis that the more I could look at as an opportunity to serve, the more I would get out of my own head and you know cry about how bad my lot in life is here. And so, um, in fact, I remember coming here talking to you guys in a staff meeting yeah and I would I just yeah and I just received that information and one of the things that just blew me away is immediately the team said well let's pray for you and the prayers that I received in these conversations I don't necessarily have consciously when I pray you know every day on my knees right give me the strength um is the prayers from from everyone that was supporting me, whether it was here at Keystone, my company, my family, my friends. 
The amount of people praying for me, I felt that, I felt that, and I felt that that was going to carry me through. So whatever the outcome, it was going to be the right outcome, and I just had to have faith. <laughs> so what did you learn about yourself through this? I learned that a couple of things, even though I know nothing about the medical world, or medical terms, then I know how to care for my mom. When she was in a sterile hospital at the end of her life with none of us able to be there, we, will, we were able to, I think we were the first family able to get our mom out of the hospital so she could come to our home for her final days because we all had COVID, it was allowed. And then I also, never in the, never did I think that I would even be asked to have a parent live with me. I never thought I would be capable of that. Not just for a couple of weeks, but if we were gonna take my dad in and care for him now, um, I didn't know how long that would last, but I'm able to do that. And I never thought I, I, I would, would have the strength or the mental capacity to do that. And that has been probably the biggest blessing, one of the biggest blessings of my life, is to have him live in my home. Uh, this last year has really shown me what I'm actually capable of doing, just being thrown so many more things, so many more curveballs, and just so much more on my plate. I have. Uh, just really enjoyed just seeing how much I am capable of doing and, and, and understanding the capacity of, you know, that I have. So that's cool. been a really serendipitous kind of thing. You know, it's a totally different outcome than you thought it would be, you know. Uh, we've, we've really reveled in reconnecting with family and community in a way. It's, it's kind of been a silver lining to this whole thing that we appreciate the community that we've built with family and friends, even if it's from a distance, because everything's been canceled. So it's back to the basics of saying, all right, what are you doing? How are you doing? Are you doing? <laughs> Sending cards out, uh, just reaching out to people. I feel like a little bit more than we were doing before. Life was running super fast. I mean, it's running super fast, but in a, in a different way now than it was before. So we really, we really jumped into that. It's almost more, it's way more intentional. Intentional, yeah, yes. I like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I learned that um, I can rely on a kind of a proven way of living, and that is just making sure that I don't waver on my faith and the practice of daily meditation and prayer that I had gotten into and staying connected, the thing that for me, and I've heard this with other patients, is you like you can get pretty lonely and pretty isolated and kind of not reach out for help. So for me, I think God inspired me to talk to people about what was going on because I, you know, I don't like to do that, right? I don't like you to know that I have a problem. I want to be all shiny and new and presentable on the outside right exactly I, I can handle it right I'm tough yeah yeah and I think that um, you know I learned that 
Uh, God's faith never wavers or never fails me. And it hadn't in the past when I had gone through crises, either ones of my own or helping others through theirs. Uh, it doesn't mean that necessarily uh, I'm gonna like the outcome, but as long as I can accept it and look at it as something that was really his plan and not mine. Because a lot of times for me, if I try to control or script that outcome and not turn it over to God, I end up messing it up anyway. <laughs> so um, so it was, I had to double down on that and it was it was tough because I was really I really thought that I was that five percent outlier that I was not going to survive this cancer. So is that a God moment for you or what, what God moments? Did you find a God moment? Yeah, well, um, I will share with you, I think my biggest God moment was when I was reading my Bible actually in 2 Timothy chapter one, and I came across a verse and this, I came across this verse probably in the beginning of April and we were in the midst of spreadsheets, not having enough numbers in the positive and my mom passing caring for my dad. Um, I read a verse and it started by saying, I have not given you a spirit, a spirit of fear. And I stopped right there. And I was like, okay, Lord, then what kind of spirit have you given me? And as I read the verse, it answered the question. It said, I've given you a spirit of power. And the word power in the original language is spelt like our word dynamite. I've given you explosive power. I've given you a spirit of love, which is agape, so unconditional love for everyone. And a spirit of discipline. And this was my favorite word. When I went to the original language, it's the only time in scripture that this word is used. And this word means I've given you soundness of mind. I have not given you a spirit to be fearful, to be worried, to be irrational. My spirit will always draw you to have a sound mind and moderation. And when I read the word moderation, I was like, well then Lord, you've prepared me for 2020 because I have to live very moderately now to meet our spreadsheet numbers, but also moderation and pulling back from many things in my life so that I could moderately live and care for my dad. And the real God moment in that is that even though I had to pull back from so many things in my life to live with, have my dad live with us, I felt like I lost nothing and I gained everything. And that's been the biggest blessing of 2020 is being able to have dad, my dad live in our home. I love that man. Well, part of the regiment that they put me on, the intense treatment plan after cancer came back was more rounds of chemo and then a stem cell transplant. So when the stem cell transplant, you have to, you know, you have to give up your stem cells and then they 
spin them super fast and freeze them and genetically re-engineer them and put them back in your body and give you a new immune system that will fight the cancer if it were to come back and kind of be an insurance policy. Well, I was up on uh, at Spectrum Health 5 Center, which is the stem cell bone marrow transplant floor. And uh, I was there for 20 straight days uh, to end this treatment process. And part of what we are encouraged to do is walk around the floor and get exercise. 18 laps around the floor is, is a mile. So I tried to do that at least twice a day, no matter how good or bad I was feeling. And ultimately, you would run into other patients and you do the laps together. And this was a great opportunity to just share faith and understand what they were going through. Well, a lady there um, had been thrown into a treatment plan because she went in for a routine checkup and found out she had stage four cancer and one that was a terminal variety. And we're talking and um, she just says, well, I know this was God saying to me, you're the only one among your family who can handle this, who can get through this. And I, and I thought to myself, she said, that's the message. That's why I'm here and no one else in my family is here. And I wouldn't want anyone else to go through this. I want to be the one. And I thought to myself, that's God speaking through her to me. And that's exactly how I felt. Is I wouldn't want anyone else to go through this. Certainly not my kids or my wife or my parents. And it really touched me and it kind of gave me a little bit of a new outlook on why I was here and that I would be getting out and I would be able to move forward as a healthy Matthew with an immune system. <laughs> I had one uh, over Thanksgiving. We had spent two weeks in total quarantine. And we hadn't seen anybody, you know, aside from a couple of errands here and there, and it was really arduous, you know, at, at best. And we'd gotten together with some family members, and it, it had been the first God moment that, that I'd had in, in a while. And I just really, I sat at the table, and I just really just, and even ties into the last question, just, just got a, a nudge. Like, this is what what's important. You know, everyone's, we're all over the place with everything right now, and it just felt right. And just... Now I just felt uh, a little more full, you know. And just yeah, so thankful to be around people that care about me and people that I love. Yeah. I was a a little bit more of a slow gauge. I didn't have a moment where it was uh, nudged, but just intentionally trying to create quiet time in the morning and connecting with God at that time, you know, and having 15, 20 minutes to do that. And I was reading a devotion that talked about. You know, how do you weather life storms? And it was just reminding you to reconnect daily with God in that. And I think it really, really resonated with me that I'm trying to navigate life storms right now all by myself. I'm trying to be the best mom. I'm trying to be the best wife. I'm trying to be the best coworker and employee and neighbor and all of these things. And I can't do it, right? It's like you realize that you're not strong enough because God's saying, let me take some of this from you. Let me carry this for you or with you. And I felt a lot of energy from 
that to say I for the last eight months I've been trying to lift it on my own and I have a bit of a relief going into the holidays and so that's that's actually been really awesome. I really want to thank each one of them for stepping out of their comfort zone and being vulnerable so that you and I might benefit. Transforming people one person at a time is the heart of God's plan for this world. It's also essential to developing dynamic marriages and, and loving families and vibrant Christian communities and thriving businesses and economies and extraordinary schools and nations. Earlier, I mentioned that someone would help us start taking those first steps into that kind of sustainable happiness. Well, there's a first century pastor named Paul that we talk about often here at Keystone, and he began his life as a hunter and a torturer of Christ followers. And over time, he became, well, he transformed into the one of the most influential people who ever lived, and he gave some really good advice to a group of Christ followers who were living in the city of, the Rome. Here's what he, of Rome. Here's what he said. He said, so here, guys, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So he's saying all of these things that we normally do in life. We go to the checkout, we go to Walgreens, we engage with our kids, we hang out with our friends. Take all of those ordinary things in life and set them before God. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Then he goes on, he says, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. And in doing that, you will become a better version of yourself. And every time you become a better version of yourself, the consequences of your transformation they're going to echo throughout your family, your friends, your businesses, your schools, your neighborhoods, your, your church, your marriage, and our nation, and beyond, beyond to people and places in the future. It is God who does the transforming, but only to the extent that we cooperate. As we talked about the last four weeks, God's grace is constant. It's never lacking. So our cooperation with God's desire to transform us is essential. It is the variable. So here's some questions. Are you willing to let God transform you? Are you willing to let the situations you find yourself in get the best of you? Or with God, make the best of it? 2020 is almost done. And in looking back, I want to challenge you. Can you find, can you see, can you remember, can you identify some holy moments? 
2021 is just a few days away. Will you make space for holy moments? I choose yes. And I pray you do too. Let's pray together out of and into the next year. Would you pray with me? Father, as we move into 2021, help us spend our energy not on the things we really can't influence. Rather, help us to focus our energy on where we can have the most impact. And that is our own thoughts, our own words, our own actions. Also, help us see that in a world that is so dark at times, you give us a candle and a match, and you ask us to be light of the world. So, Father, help us. Help us to create space to do that. Help us to create space and allow you to bring holy moments to us. And then give us the courage to act on them, to make a difference, to change our world, to change our future, to change the lives of those around us. Amen. We'll see you next week.